all of that is garbage. It's rubbish. It means nothing to me. And I want to be able to count it all loss for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ and the gospel and having that overwhelm my life. God, we worship you today. We honor you. We offer ourselves to you. Would you go back and sing that verse one more time? And when I think that God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. And let it be the cry of your heart today. Chris Gaynor, and I'm the worship pastor, and it is my privilege to welcome you this afternoon. We're so glad to see you. Um, a number of you are new around here, and we're, we're grateful you're here and honored that you'd come to worship with us today. Uh, we would like to ask you, if you get a chance sometime during the service, to take that welcome card that's on the edge of your worship guide and fill that out. Uh, we just would love to have the opportunity to get to know you. Well, you guys know that we started a 1230 service today. This is our first time to do this, yeah, and, uh, and we're glad you're here. We also began two services last night, a Saturday evening service and an accompanying uh, summit in Espanol campus, 
And there was lots of activity around here yesterday afternoon. It was very exciting. And uh, we're just, we're really excited about what God is doing uh, between Saturday night and Sunday morning and at our other campuses. I just want to make sure that you know that in addition to this this extra opportunity for worship, there are multiple opportunities for you to serve. So you guys are already coming at 1230. So you can come at 9 or 1045 and serve on one of our teams. You can come Saturday night and serve. Uh, But we want to encourage you to be involved. Don't just come to worship. Uh, Don't just sleep in every Sunday morning and come get your church fix at 1230. Come be a part of the body and invest yourself here. To that end, there are frontline or training opportunities for you. You'll find a link in your uh, worship guide there to the website. You'll see a little box about frontline. Go on the website, follow that. There are uh, training opportunities coming up for children and first impressions and small groups and worship, all places where you can get plugged in, and we'd love to see you uh, do that and find a place to invest and be involved here. I also want to let you college students know that uh, some of you are here today. We are so glad you guys are back. We've missed you this summer, and we're looking forward uh, to partnering with you this fall. Beginning next Sunday at 1045, there's an opportunity for you in the Bay, so you can come to uh, College Ministry 5.0 or whatever it is, Upgrade Edition, And uh, be a part of that and then come to this 1230 service and worship with us. And we hope you'll take advantage of that. Uh, If you know college students, you might want to just let them know about that in case they uh, missed it today. We, again, are so glad you're here and looking forward to what God has to say to us today and what he's going to do as we gather around his word. Thank you so much for coming. Sorry, we couldn't name anything new this week, so we just ran the old one. I, uh, well, this is exciting. It really is our first ever 1230 service. Uh, I commend you. Thank you for being here. Uh, you guys are the smart ones because you know that at the restaurants, the, uh, this is the, the crowded hour, so you get to go before or after. There's a lot of Pentecostal churches that get out about 2 o'clock. I'll tell you that. that you may not bank on doing it afterwards. Um, I, uh, man, it really is exciting, and I'm going to tell you this. We, um, this is part of our strategy going forward. We really need for this to work right here. Um, we were doing a Sunday evening campus, and I recognize some of you from that uh, because I guess you don't like to get up before the crack of lunch. Uh, but now you can get up, eat some breakfast, and come on uh, to church and start your day. But um, we really, this is going to be necessary. So I want to thank you for doing that. Um, as Chris mentioned, we're going to have to actually, you know, we want people to have the same experience at this service that they have at any of our services. Um, the band will be here the whole time. 
Um, your campus pastor, Danny, um, had to leave uh, because he had a um, uh, somebody that was a, a childhood friend of his uh, passed away this weekend. So he's at the funeral. But normally he'll be here. We're going to need volunteers that serve before and after because you don't want people leaving here feeling like it's a, you know, walking out into a, a graveyard. So we just want to do everything. So uh, we need you to, to step up. Thank you for making this. Uh, the fact that you're here today means that you have covenanted with the Holy Spirit that you will be here for the rest of the year. Uh, you're not allowed to leave. And so thank you for that. Uh, no, I would, commi- I would just reiterate not to, um, to, to beat a, a dead horse, but... Um, really, uh, our church is not about spectators, it's about people who serve, and um, I know the fact that you're here means that you, most of you, kind of already think like that, because you're coming at an hour that's not traditionally when you and your grandma went to church together, and so you're already thinking that way, but I would just encourage you to do that. Um, we had a great group out last night, Saturday night, um, we had almost 600 people on campus, um, that included about 100, thank you, um, I'm going to point you, Ridge, in this campus to be the applause man. So anytime you clap, if everybody will join you, that would be great. Um, we had almost 100 people at our uh, summit in Espanol, uh, which is a, a service that mirrors ours. And uh, from what they tell me, it was Mubian. Um, we all had a, a little fiesta afterwards over here. It was, it was great. So exciting days here at the Summit Church. Uh, Mubian means very good, uh, in case you were wondering. All right. Uh, We have been talking for the last several weeks now about the foundations and the choices of the life that is built to last that we are taught in the book of Proverbs. Today's topic is one of those, uh, and I would say a very essential one. Uh, You can't read the book of Proverbs without confronting this in literally every single chapter that you read. Um, It's uh, something I believe you will think is immediately relevant to you uh, because most of you spend the majority of your week in pursuit of this thing, and that is the subject of Monet, okay? Not the painter, but money, all right? Now, I know, I'll just go ahead and acknowledge this up front, the elephant in the room, talking about money in church makes most people about as nervous as Nancy Pelosi in a town hall meeting uh, because you think that basically what the Bible says about money is whatever you're given, give more, and whatever you have, you should probably feel guilty about. And so you're like, I'm not really sure I want to hear either one of those two messages right now I understand that, but Proverbs says a surprising amount. In fact, if you've been reading along with us, I would ask you to raise your hands, but I'm going to assume most of you are. If you've been reading the book of Proverbs along with us, then you will just, it's amazing how much Proverbs, listen, talks about the good of wealth creation. It commends it. It says it's something that God has created. I, I, I literally, there are dozens, somewhere near a hundred verses on it. I'll just give you four right up front that are just like a, like a, like a sampling. These are most of these are in your worship guide, by the way. There was so many I just put them in there. If you look at it, um, fourteen twenty four. Listen, the crown of the wise is their wealth. Now, I know a lot of you are like, well, maybe that means something like spiritual wealth. No, okay. There's no way to read Proverbs and say every time it's referring to some kind of spiritual blessing. He's talking about physical wealth. The plans of the diligent twenty one five lead surely to abundance. Thirteen twenty two. A good man leaves an inheritance not only to his children. A good man leaves it to his children's children. Honor the Lord, 3, 9, and 10, with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with non-alcoholic wine. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, 10, 22, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth and he adds no sorrow with it. This is probably going to come as a huge surprise to some of you. and You've probably never heard this in church. Okay, but listen, you do not have to continually feel guilty about the fact 
that you have been successful and that you've made lots of money. Okay? Wealth creation is a part of God's plan. And physical wealth can be a manifestation of the blessing of God. God loves to bless His children and He loves for you to enjoy His blessings just like I love to see my children enjoy the blessings that I give to them. I love to give them presents and I love to give them lollipops and dress up dresses and everything that they like. And I love to watch them. And God is like that. And physical wealth is one of the many things that he loves to pour out on, on them. You probably never heard this before. I must go ahead and say it, all right? I want you as your pastor to make lots of money, okay? I want you to make lots of money and I want you to enjoy it. And I want you to give away insane amounts of it, giddily. Gilly, just because you love Jesus and you love other people, and that's what you want to do with it. Okay, so, so be blessed. In fact, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to talk to you about something that comes straight out of Proverbs that, you again, you're going to find a little surprising. Uh, some of you are going to love this, and some of you are going to hate it. You could be like, I don't know if you ought to be talking about that in church. I've already had people say that to me in, in some form or another already this morning. Um, and that is how Proverbs tells you you're supposed to build wealth in a wise way. Right? And that's, you know, I'm committed to preaching all the Proverbs, the popular and the unpopular parts, and you just can't teach Proverbs without at least going through this in some way. So here's what we're going to do. At the very, very, very end of the message, I'm going to show you constructively, really quickly, how you're supposed to build wealth according to Proverbs. But before we get there, what I've got to do is show you the five ways that Proverbs says a fool tries to build wealth. So we've got to look at the how not to, and then I'm going to show you how to. So just consider this like the world's longest introduction to a very short sermon, okay, that I'm going to give you up, uh, up front here, all right? Five ways that Proverbs says the fool tries to build his wealth. You ready for this? I'm telling you, it's going to hurt because some of it's going to smack you right between the eyes. You're going to be amazed. It's like Solomon is reading our checkbooks or your online bank account. Here's number one. A fool tries to build his wealth by upgrading his lifestyle through credit. All right? You still with me? Okay. 22-26. Don't be one of those who gives pledges, who gives up security for debts. If you've got nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken out from under you? Pledges, debts. Do you know what he's referring to? He's referring to an old version of the credit system. For us, it is the beloved plastic. It is, you know, discovering debt or American excess or whatever you want to call it. And what Solomon says is whether you're talking about then or now, that's the way a fool builds his wealth. You see, there's something I've learned as I've gotten older and now in my wise 36 years of age, um, and that is that I can upgrade my lifestyle through the swipe of a card. You ever figure that out? You know how tempting that is? Because I know that I could go out and I get a nicer car. I could get a bigger house. Now, you can't buy you know, a house on a credit card, but you know what I'm saying. Um, you can, uh, yeah, I can upgrade my wardrobe where I can actually wear cool clothes that people would talk about. You know, I can, I can, there's lots of things I could do that I could just go put on a credit card and do the same way. And there's a temptation. I'm like, I want to do that. Anybody remember the layaway system? You remember that? If you ever bought something on layaway, raise your hand. Be honest. Okay, so the layaway system, those, you notice everybody raise their hands for the most part older. Um, if you're under the age of 30, you've never heard this. Okay, so let me explain something to you and enrich your life. Back in the day, my family used to do this. You go down to Sears, and you find a washing machine that you wanted. Remember this? And you put 50 bucks down, and you lay away money for it. You come out the next month, put 50 more dollars down, until eventually you had enough to pay for the washing machine, and then you take it home. That sounds crazy to us now, doesn't it? I mean, imagine trying to do that today. You go down to the Toyota dealership, and you're like, I'd like that car. Here's 100 bucks. 
I come back next month, here's another $100. And you do it until 2018 when you can drive that car off the lot. Right, you go down to Angus Barn and you're like, I want to eat here one day. Here's five bucks. I give you five bucks every month till I got enough. And then, you know, my birthday next year, we're coming. It's just crazy. But, y'all, the advantage of that system was when you got done paying it off, you took it home and it was new. It was new and it was shiny and you liked it. Now, right, when you buy something on that credit card, by the time you get done paying it off, you don't even know where it is anymore, do you? It's like in the attic buried under three other layers of three ways you've upgraded it, right? It's, just, it's, it's, it's a system that we know we can upgrade our lifestyle through the swipe of a card, but Proverbs says that was and is the fool's way of gaining wealth. And you say, why? Why is that so foolish? It actually sounds kind of appealing to me. All right, here's why. 22 verse 7. This is so important. This is, I'm going to have you memorize this. Because the borrower, he says, is the servant of the lender. That's why. The borrower becomes the servant of the lender. We're going to memorize that. You ready? The borrower, I'll say it, then then I'll give you a chance to say it. The borrower is servant of the lender. The borrower is servant of the lender. Borrower is a little hard to say because it sounds like you're barking. Borrower, you know, but borrower, borrower. All right, ready? We'll say it on three. One, two, three. The borrower is servant to the lender. That was pathetic, all right? I'll let you say it. I'm not going to say it this time. The borrower is servant to the lender. One, two, three. That's right. Okay, the borrower is servant to the lender because when you go into debt, what you do is you give over a measure of control to the person that loans you the money. Right? You give up your ability to make some free choices because they literally have control of a piece of your life and a piece of your paycheck. I'll prove it to you. There are sometimes I stand in this church and I will tell you about some need and you want to give to it. Maybe something going on here at the church. Maybe some missionaries we need to support. Maybe it's a poor person you know needs help. And you want to give. Your heart's in it. But you can't. You literally can't. Because Visa will not let you. Because they demand a certain amount of your paycheck and you are unable to follow God because you have made yourself a slave to them. And they get to speak into your check before even God does. I'm not trying to be too harsh. I'm just saying that's the reality. For others, it's you could not take opportunities that God opened up before you. If God told you, here's a new door I want you to go through in your job. If God calls you to go to the mission field, I know more people that I can tell you that God has called them to go to the mission field and they could not go because American Express would not let them. Because they can't leave because they are now the servant of the person that loaned them the money. And that person who loans you the money becomes your master more than God does. This is too easy, sorry. But your master becomes master card, not the master Jesus, right? And you become their slave in, in a business. If a business, you know, somebody loans, uh, uh, you businessmen know this, somebody loans your business money, whoever loaned it gets to start making decisions about how you spend it. Isn't that right? You become their servant. You can't run your business the way you want to. One of the worst illustrations I've ever heard of this. True. This church down in Charlotte got so far into unsecured debt that when they took up their offering, huge church, when they took up their offering every Sunday morning, Bank of America literally stood in the lobby with their officials and a policeman. And when the ushers came back, they dumped it into a bag that the bank had. And the bank took it. The bank counted it. And then the bank gave back to the church a portion of what the church could keep. And that church was unable to do what God wanted it to do because they'd gotten into so much debt. The borrower is servant of the lender. 71% of all credit cards have only the minimum monthly payment being made. 75% 
they say, of all Americans, are only three paychecks away of, of to- from total bankruptcy. And by the way, I know you hear that and you're like, well, yeah, that's all these people up in New York City who are all screwed up. Okay? True. All right? But, but actually, that's not true. They are screwed up. That part is true. But Raleigh Durham, I read this. It, it was true a couple of years ago. And I, I'm assuming it's still true. Raleigh Durham has the esteemed privilege of being the place that has the highest credit card debt per capita in the nation. Be warmed and filled. Okay? Be proud of yourselves, right? What all that means to me, and I'm not trying to obviously smack you over the head with that. I'm just saying that I'm talking to a lot of people, if that's true, that are carrying around an extraordinary amount of, of bondage. Listen, li- increasing your lifestyle through credit is so easy today, but it was and it is the foolish way. And I know some of you, again, you're like, well, yeah, but you just got to understand. Right now, I don't make much money, and one day I, when I get married, then we'll make more money, and then, you know, I won't have to live on my credit card. Two major problems with that. Okay, number one, you've got to put up this illusion that when you get married, you're going to save money. I thought that too. Okay, so I don't condemn you. I was like, oh, yeah, we'll have two paychecks. We'll, you know, share a house. No. It is, I don't know what it is about it, but it is insanely expensive to be married. Uh, I, holy cow. Um, anyway, so put that up. But secondly, it has nothing to do, listen, it has nothing to do with how much you make. It has to do with a lifestyle habit that you have adopted of living above your means. I read an article this week talking about Michael Jackson's estate. When Michael Jackson died, his estate owed $400 million. Now, I read that, and I'm like, how does that happen? I mean, the guy's the best-selling pop artist of all time, right? He owned the Beatles label. I mean, you go get your new, um, what's that, guitar hero thing. He's making money on that. How does he get $400 million in debt? And his accountant said, well, it's easy. He just spent more than he took in. It has nothing to do with how much money you make. It has to do with a choice that you make about living. Wise living is living within your means. And if you want to be wise, then you make a decision today that no matter how much you will make, you will always live within your means. I don't care who you are, how much you make. I wish the U.S. Congress would get this. Right? Veronica and I have three major principles in our finances. These are kind of like our big rocks. I've already taught them to our our daughters. You can ask them, and they'll tell you these things in some form back. Three things that determine our budget. We give, we save, and we stay out of debt. We give, we save, and we stay out of debt. It's simple, but that's just wise living, honestly. Let me tell you what that means, by the way. That means our lives look significantly different than people who make the same amount of money as us. Because you think about this. If the average person in Raleigh-Durham lives a lot on his credit card and I don't, that means that my lifestyle is one step behind theirs. Fair? If we save money, which we think, as I'll show you in a minute, is wise, that puts us two steps behind the person who makes the same amount of money as us. Because we want to give radically and generous, that puts us three or four steps behind everybody else. Guys, listen. When you're living three to four steps behind everybody who makes the same amount of money you do, That is a noticeable difference. Noticeable difference. And the reason I say that is because some of you have a habit of always looking at everybody who you think is in the same station of life you are in and comparing your clothes to theirs and your car to theirs and your house to theirs. I'm telling you, if you're going to be wise, you're going to live in a smaller house, drive a lesser car, and wear non-cool clothes all the time. I'm not saying you look like a dork. I'm just saying you, you you just don't have what they have. But Proverbs says that's wise. In fact, watch this, Proverbs 13 11, another great verse on this one. Um, I thought I had it memorized, but I don't. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. But who has, health, wealth, gained, health, wealth gained hastily, that means wealth gained with a swipe of a card, will dwindle. 
But whoever gathers little by little will increase it. In fact, here's how I've heard it said. There's two ways to gain wealth. One is fast, the other slow. One brings peace, the other brings woe. Okay? Two ways to gain wealth. One is fast, the other slow, but one brings peace and the other brings the other brings woe. Veronica and I, listen, we, we just are determined. We're just going to avoid debt, all of it. You're like, well, just a little bit, just a little bit. No, no, all of it. I mean, it's like if I give you a candy bar and say, this candy bar's got a little bit of poison in it. You're not going to nibble around the poison, right? You're just going to avoid the whole candy bar. The same thing. We don't want, even if it bring the sweetness that credit cards bring into our life, I just don't want it. Honestly, don't want it. Now, I know some of you are like, well, wait a minute. What about good debt? What about home mortgage? I am so glad you asked that question, which is why at the summit we have classes that we offer on a periodic basis, and we have some starting this week that talk about how to set up your budget in a way that has good debt but not bad debt, and we would love to work you through that. Okay, so this needs to be the action step for some of you as you come out of this message and you take you and your spouse, or, or if you're single, just come and you go through that. It's all the information in your worship guide. Number two, number two, second way a fool pursues uh, wealth or tries to get wealthy is number two, he pursues get-rich-quick schemes. And again, for some of you, this is going to feel like a, a punch in the gut, but you need to hear it. And I love you, okay, so i got to tell you. Look at this, three verses. Proverbs 12, 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. 21, 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. 13, 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Get-rich-quick schemes are not new. There are some people who have always been looking to make it rich, by one key investment, some secret stock they found out about, some deal that they were able to buy in on early. For some people, it's the lottery. And Proverbs says, whether you're talking about in 1000 B.C. or 2000 A.D., that is the path of foolishness. Notice how strong the language is. You will come to poverty. Your wealth will dwindle. You lack sense. And I know some of you are like, no, wait a minute. But you don't understand. I know this guy who totally made it rich because of this and this and this and that. Or you're like, but this is different because I, I really got the inside track on this secret deal. Okay, all right, I understand. I'm just telling you, this is a divinely revealed principle. And if you violate it, Proverbs calls you a fool. You think, well, I, yeah, I'm the exception. I'll break the principle. I'll break the principle and I'll cheat the system. Listen, generally speaking, you don't break principles. You break yourself against the principle. Principles don't break. You break. When you break the principle, you try, you end up breaking yourself. And that principle is the ones who try to strike it rich through some super deal, secret stock, or lottery ticket will end up in poverty. Instead, Solomon says, 12.11, work your land. Right? 21.5, be diligent. 13.11, gather little by little. There's two ways to try to gain wealth. One is fast, the other is slow. One brings peace, the other brings that was, that was bad, okay? There's two ways to try to get wealthy. One is fast, the other slow. But the former, the latter brings peace, and the former brings, whoa, that's right, whoa. That's why, by the way, one of the cl- things you'll, you'll learn in that class if you take it, which, you, again, I would encourage you to, is if you only make $40,000 every year of your life. And I know for some of you, you're like, I would love to make $40,000. Okay, you will one day. All right, but if you only make $40,000 for the rest of your life, what we'll show you in this is that if you save 10% of that, by the time you retire at 65, you will retire on $1.6 million. And that's if you never get a raise. 
two ways to gain wealth. One is fast, one is slow. One brings peace, the other brings love. Right? That's why you should take that again. That's my last commercial for that class. Number three, the fool overworks. He overworks. 23, verses 4 and 5. Solomon says, do not wear yourself out getting rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Know when it's time to come home. Know when it's time to not work nights. Know when it's time to not go on the business trip. You see, what you've got to consider is this. Listen, this is not preaching. This is just logic. Right? Not that preaching doesn't normally have logic in it, but you know what I mean. Right? Listen, when you, are at, when you are pursuing money, watch, just think. What you're after is not really money. It's what money can buy that you're after. Right? One of my favorite little books is called Socrates Meets Jesus, written by a guy named Peter Kraft. And what he does is he imagines what it would be like if Socrates went through a time warp and somehow ended up on the campus of Harvard. And he says he walks around Harvard doing what Socrates does, and that is asking people questions. And what Socrates uncovers, or what he begins to get curious about, is why everybody is in this cutthroat race to try to get the best jobs to get the most money. And so through asking people questions, what he uncovers is that people aren't really after money for money's sake. They're after money for what money can buy. Right? For many people, money gives them a sense of security, a sense of power. For some people, it gives them satisfaction. It gives them pleasure. Right? It's always something that money buys, and that's what you're really after. I mean, does that make sense? I mean, it's not just money, because if you were to be on a desert island by yourself and you had piles and piles of cash... I mean, that's not what you want, right? I mean, you have nowhere to spend it, nobody to share it with. What you're after is what money can buy. And so the, watch it, the question for Solomon then becomes, what if there is a better way to those things? You catch that? Once you realize that it's not just money you're after, it's the satisfaction, the peace, the happiness, the control, the security. What if there's a better way to those things? Because what he shows you is that there's a number of better ways you get to those things. Let me give you some examples. Proverbs 16, excuse me, 15, 16. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. He's just saying, hey, be honest with you, you're going to be more happy if you've got a happy family and a happy marriage than you are if you're loaded and your wife hates you. Or here's a way it even makes it more tangible for me. Better a meal of vegetables where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Better to have to eat at Saladelia every week, you know, with a wife who loves you, then eat at Angus Barn every single night with a wife and kids who hate you and resent you. How many men are there that have gotten to the end of their lives trying to have worked to give their children the best stuff only to have their children grow up and resent them? My dad, who retired last year, he said, he says, he said son, when you get to my age, he says, what you'll notice is this. He said, all the guys that I worked with, not a one of them right now are looking back and saying, I wish I had worked more. All of them are saying, I wish I had spent more time with my children. What happens, men, and women too, but let me specifically talk to the men here, is you try to make your kids possession rich, even when it means their relationship poor. And what you learn as you get older and wiser is that it's better if they're relationship rich, even if they're possession poor. Because what determines the happiness and security of a family has more to do with relationship than it does the kind of possessions that they have. Men, what if you spend your whole life climbing the ladder of success only to find out it's leaning against the wrong building? What if there is a better way to those things? And Solomon says there is. Know when to show restraint. Know when to walk away. And know when pursuit of wealth is actually going to undercut the very things you're thinking wealth will give to you. Make sense? Here's number four. 
Fourth way a fool pursues wealth is he profits through injustice. Some people try to increase their status by cheating. And so they cheat in school, right, to try to get a better job, you know, get grades, get a job. Some people cheat on their taxes every year because it increases their take-home pay. Some cheat on a business deal by not disclosing all the information or try to sell stock without disclosing all the information. Some of us, when we sell our houses, try to hide things in that house so we can get more money from that house. And it increases our bottom line a little bit. But the problem is, when you cheat, listen to this, you lose your integrity. Integrity, think about it, literally means your integration. That's where we get the word integrity from. At the core, you are integrated. And when you cheat, it rots your core and causes you to come apart. So that even when you are wealthy, you lack a heart, you lack a core, and that removes your ability to be happy. You want to know why so many of these businessmen are so miserable? Because in order to get where they've gotten to, they have had to sacrifice their ability to be happy in the pursuit of what they thought would make them happy. Isn't that crazy? You see that? Here's how I think about this. I think of my life. I should have put this up on the screen, but, but visualize right here. I think about my happiness and my peace in life in concentric circles. At the innermost core, I put my walk with God and my integrity. Around that, I put a circle that I would say is my relationship with my wife. Around that, I would put a circle that has uh, my family relationships. And then around that, I would put my job, my career, which is obviously here in the church. And what I've noticed, y'all, is this. I can handle turbulence in the outer spheres when there is solidness, solidity, in the inner ones. I can handle, you know, things at the church aren't going well, attendance is down, offerings are bad. You know, like, everybody hates me at work, and, and other people like when I'm preaching. I'm like, you know what, I'll get through this, it's okay, because I'm walking with God, my wife loves me, my kids think I'm awesome. But I've noticed that when there's turbulence in the inner circles, then it doesn't matter, even if the outer circles are going well, I still can't find that sense of peace and satisfaction that I'm looking for. And I just realized that it's foolish for me to spend all my time, time, time trying to make this great, this outer one, and to leave my integrity, my relationship with God, my relationship with my wife, and my relationship with my kids, and not spend much time on them. If you're wise, you will realize that your integrity and those relationships have much more to do with your happiness than does your bank account. Does that make sense? Here is number five. The fool tries to profit, profiteering by exploiting the community. Look at this. You're like, that's a complex one. Yes, hold on. 11.26, the people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. This fool is not being dishonest. He's being ruthless. There is a scarcity of food, and this man is withholding his food to hike up the prices despite the people's hunger. Right? Price gouging, you see what we're getting at here? This is what the movie theater does. Right? You go in, they're like, you want some popcorn? Give me $9 because you can't bring anything else in here. Right? And, 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 and you curse them, do you not? You stand up there and you're like, I've got to pay $18 for popcorn and a drink. And by the way, if you work at a movie theater, no offense against you because I know it's not you. It's, it's the man. And we're all cursing the man, okay, because we're sick of it. Right? It's not illegal. It's according to the rules. It's just not right. Right? Bruce Waltke, a, a guy who, an Old Testament scholar, who wrote a commentary I'm using in this series, he says, quote, To understand the book of Proverbs, you've got to understand something pretty radical. And that is every time in Proverbs you see the word righteous in relation to money, what it means is, listen, 
those who value community as a bottom line in production, as well as personal profit. They are willing then to forego greater profit for themselves sometimes for the sake of the common good. A righteous business is one that does not merely have profit as the bottom line. The righteous understand that their money is given to them for the community, not just for themselves. So they make and spend their money in a way that builds the community. Unrighteous people, unrighteous business, have only profit as their bottom line and spend it on themselves. If you build wealth, in other words, by exploiting the poor, you might be rich. But everyone will hate you, God will curse you, and you will rot from the inside. So enjoy, all right? That's a foolish way. By the way, just a little aside here. That is one of the reasons I am so against playing the lottery. It's not that it's an unwise risk, even though it is. I mean, you know, the lottery's been called a tax on people who are bad at math. But the real reason is that overall it is bad for the community. Every study that has ever been done shows that the lottery makes its money off of people who can't afford to be spending money on lottery tickets. Right? And you say, well, that's not our problem, that's their problem. Yeah, but I just don't want to be involved in a business that makes its money off exploiting the poor. You're like, oh, but don't they use the money for education? So? Just because you use the money from a bad industry for good purposes doesn't make the industry itself good. I mean, if we took the sex trade and start to take some of the profits from that and put them back into building hospitals, you don't call the whole sex trade good, right? If, if a company who makes a harmful product donates part of their product back to, or donates part of their profits back to charity, the product itself doesn't become good, right? It's the reason I'm against this. You're like, well, I don't want you to talk politics. I'm not talking politics. I'm just talking the Bible. This is the way a fool tries to build wealth, whether that fool is a single person out of college or whether that fool is the state government. It's foolish because it's done so on the backs of exploiting the poor. Five ways that a fool tries to get rich. Now, in just a minute, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you how to flip these and how the wise person tries to build wealth. And then one surprising element in there. But before I do that, listen. What we have to acknowledge is that there's a reason most people fall into one of those five traps. And the reason, watch, there's a reason that you can't say no with your credit card. There's a reason why you are tempted to injustice. There's a reason why you tend to exploit the poor. Here's the reason. Because in your heart, you believe, most of us, that money is essential to the peace, the security, or the satisfaction that you're really after in life. And we cannot change your behavior until we change the fact that your heart has a false God. And that false God has to be removed so otherwise... Because listen, when you've got that God there, you'll do anything to get it. And that's why you fall into these five traps. There's a big thing at the summit. You can't change behavior until you change heart. So what you have to realize is that money is a competitor for God in your life. Proverbs says it like this, 16.15 or 15.16 or 10.15. Proverbs 10.15, a rich man's wealth is his strong city. Notice, he didn't say a rich man uses his wealth to build a city. You watching? But a rich man's wealth actually is his city. A city in Hebrew times was a very important thing because it was your source of life. Its walls were your security. It kept out thieves and wild animals. A city was also your source of life in that it's where commerce happened. It's where 
you know, your social relationships were. And so what he's saying is that for the rich man, for the wicked man, money is his life. It is his source of security and his source of beauty and satisfaction. I've explained to you before that there are two ways that people worship money that correspond to two different personality types. Right? The first way is there are those who see money as security. And so what these people do is they store it up. They're always saving it because for them to have money is to feel safe. For them to have money is to have control. And so they're always worried about, am I going to have enough to live on? Am I going to be able to put my kids in college? Will I be able to retire comfortably? Now, I've confessed to you before, this is totally me. This is my personality. i got three girls and a little boy on the way, and I'm just telling you, they are expensive. I read one of the most depressing articles I've ever read the other day. It was online. Amount it costs to raise a kid in the United States, not counting the birth or the college. $291,000. $291,000. I got four kids. That's $1.2 million that I'm out of pocket in the next 18 years. They'll laugh, okay? It makes me mad, all right, when you laugh. Um, in fact, our due date for our, our fourth boy, our, our fourth child, which is going to be a boy, um, our, the due date on that one is January 3rd. I'm already praying, fasting, and believing God and asking you to join me that we can squeak that thing in by December 31st so I get the tax right off for this year, Okay. So if you would join me in praying that that thing comes before December 31 so I can save $1,500 this year, that'd be awesome, okay? Um, now, some people, you know, they listen to this, they're like, oh, don't, what are you worried about? I mean, your church, you'll, they're going to shower you with so many little boy outfits. Yeah, okay, I understand. I'm covered when it comes to onesies, all right? I, I, I get that. Um, by the way, you single guys, a onesie is basically pajamas with a trap door. They're awesome. I think we were totally too hasty in getting rid of those things for adults because I think that actually make for a nice little outfit but um my, my personality how will i ever have enough because i tend to look at money as security but see then there are those on the other side who see money as the way to significance and beauty and so these people are always spending money to buy more stuff because they feel like the stuff adds beauty and significance to their lives they swipe that card upgrade that car some see money as security, others see money as beauty and significance. And here's one of the rules of God's universe. These two people always seem to get married to each other. Right, don't they? Come on now. So it means you get an extra $1,000 as a bonus at Christmas, and one of you wants to put it in the bank, and the other one wants to go buy new drapes with it? I mean, I don't know. I'm not talking about my marriage or anything, I promise. I'm just saying, all right? You know, and, th- and then both of you end up getting mad at each other because y- you think, like, what's wrong with you? And the one who likes to spend because he or she thinks that adds beauty to their life, they always feel like the guy who saves is stingy. And the one who saves is always like, well, you blow money everywhere. But the problem is that they both worship money because both of them are looking to money to do what God was supposed to do. God was to be our primary source of security, and God was to be our primary source of beauty and significance and delight. You see this? This is the reason some of you do these things, these five foolish things. You can't help yourself because you feel like you have to have money to have beauty and significance. And Solomon says there is a better way. Proverbs eleven twenty eight: Whoever trusts his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. You see the image? If you're drawing your life from riches, if you're drawing your security and your beauty, you're going to turn brown and fall. But if you are drawing your beauty and your significance, uh, this is the third service. Fourth, if you draw your beauty and significance from God, your leaf life will be filled with chlorophyll. 
fill or form or whatever they call that stuff. What is it? What is it? What is chloroform? Awesome. Your life will not be filled with chloroform. Your life will be filled with chlorophyll. And you have health and vitality. You see, if God is my security and if God is my beauty, then I don't have to worry about how much money I got in the bank all the time. I don't have to obsess about driving a nicer car, about wearing clothes that put me in a certain class, about traveling to certain destinations. If God is my beauty and I know that I am a child of His, He has a plan for my life, I'm doing His will, He calls me His Son, that I have an inheritance in heaven that is rich beyond anybody's imagination, that can never be touched. If that's not beauty and significance, I won't worship money. See, you can't correct your behavior until you correct your heart. Money makes a wonderful servant and a terrible master. And some of you need to be liberated from money to be able to serve God, right? You'll never really be wealthy. You'll only be wealthy until you no longer need money to feel wealthy. See? All right. Introduction is finished. Here's the world's shortest sermon. You ready? It's got two or three points, but they'll go quick. How do you actually build wealth? Well, we've already been over most of them. I'll just make sure you got it. One, you've got to redefine wealth. You've got to realize that to be wealthy means that you have a sense of happiness, of peace, security about the future, pleasure. Right? That's what you're really after. And money is a means to an end. But you realize that wealth is the possession of those things, and there may be a better way to some of those things than money is. So first, redefine wealth. Number two, you've got to do the opposite of all the things that I just told you. Instead of living on credit and debt, you've got to live within your means. Instead of get-rich-quick schemes, you've got to be faithful, hardworking, plow your land, save money. Instead of overworking, you've got to learn to take joy in your family, in your ministry, even in your hobbies. Instead of sacrificing your soul to get a few extra dollars, you live in integrity. Instead of exploiting the community, you live to serve. Right? Here's the third one. Is it raining? I think so. Number three. This one is totally counterintuitive. You ready? If you don't go to church, this is going to be the biggest surprise of the day. But it's in there, and it's true. Number three, how to build wealth according to Proverbs. You live with radical generosity. You live with radical generosity. I know, listen, watch. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with beer. Proverbs eleven twenty four through 26. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give. But instead of having the money, he actually suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched himself, and one who waters will himself be watered. My favorite, Proverbs nineteen seventeen. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. Y'all, I know this is so counterintuitive, but listen, what do these verses mean? They literally mean God will pay you back. There is no other way to read this. Verse 17 goes so far as to say God looks at it like a loan that you give him. One of the vehicles God uses to bless you financially is for you to give away your money. Now, you're sitting there and you're like, well, why would God do that? It's like he needs our money? Well, please, all right? He created everything there is with the word of his mouth. He doesn't need your money. And shame on Christians when they communicate it that way. Right? Here's why. Giving of our first fruits shows you 
but you realize that it's all from him anyway. That's why not, verse 9 is give me your first fruits. Because what you're saying is, God, everything ultimately comes from you. And really, God, I'm not dependent on my crop to keep me alive. I'm dependent on you. And so the first part of it, I'm going to give back to you just to show that. The second reason he has you do this is because he wants to give you a chance to love like him. That's what that verse means about kindness to the poor and, and God taking it personally. He's just saying, this, I'm going to give you a chance to love like I love, and that is by pouring out your riches for others. The third reason I think he, 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 he says this, he tells us this, is because it allows you to, to really learn to trust God. Because let me tell you this, real generosity, I don't mean like the, the they make you feel good by giving three or four dollars to the guy in the corner kind of generosity. I mean, real generosity takes trust. Because when you give somebody something, there's something inside of you, right? That goes, uh, what if God gave me this money for me, and now I'm going to give it away, and somebody else is going to use it, and then I'm not going to have it for me. Real generosity takes trust, because what God says is, in loving this way, you will see that I will reward you. I look at it like a loan. That has been my experience. God as my witness. I'm not making this up. For 20 years, I've been a Christian. Every single year since I became a Christian, God and I have played this little game. It's been awesome. The game is, you know, God sits across the table from me and he says, all right, you give to me, and then I'll give back to you. And then we'll tally it up at the end and see who's, who, who has higher points. He's 20 and 0. He's won 20 years in a row. We're playing again this year, and I have a feeling he's going to win again this year. Like God blesses, God loves to give you more to give. So he says, it's counterintuitive, but give it away. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. By the way, let me just throw this out, one other thing here. This is not some kind of little formula, like a magic like elixir that you can use to erase the other five foolish things. Like you can just go you know, charge up your credit cards and give a little bit to the church and they'll magically disappear. Okay, not what I'm saying at all. Uh, don't not, listen, you'd be surprised when people think that. I was watching television the other day, flipping through the channels, and I come across one of these TV preachers talking about money. And my wife says, just move on. It's not good for you. It's not good for our marriage. But I can't. I, it's like a train wreck. i got to watch it. And on he comes with that smile, and he's like, some of you max, I'm not going to imitate him like I know who he is. Um, some of you are maxed out with your credit cards. And you don't know how you're going to pay. God wants to help you get rid of that credit card debt. I'm like, so far, so good. He's like, what I want you to do is I want you to finish up the last little bit that's room on that credit card and give it to this ministry, to God. And God, I guarantee you, will cut that credit card payment in half. Just trust God and see. And I get filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, God, are you telling me right now to drive down to Florida where that guy is and punch him in the throat? Because I'm feeling it. I'm feeling like you're telling me that. God, I mean, you know, it's like, here am I, send me. I'm ready to go. You know, and he goes, no, just hang on, not your deal. It's not what I'm talking about, okay? Not what I'm talking about. This is not a formula. It's a principle. Some of you will give to God. Listen, hear me. And God's not going to just send you a check back. Some of you, the way he's going to enrich you is by teaching you not to be a materialist. Because that's the worst curse of all. Some of you, God is going to enrich you by allowing you to learn to love like Jesus, which is riches beyond comparison. You're like, well, okay, give, radically give. How much is that? That's the million-dollar question, right? No pun intended. And if you make a million dollars, it is the million-dollar question. But how much do you give? There are four words we try to use at the Summit Church to guide you. 
I think these are all biblical. Let me just give them to you, give you a word explanation, and then, and then we'll finish. The first word that we believe comes from the Bible about giving, they all start with P, percentage. I'll tell you that so you can start to guess what they are. P, percentage. You see, notice verse 24 of chapter 11, the first verse we read in this section. It said, some withhold what they should give. Literally in Hebrew, it says, some take more than is their right. Now, hear me. What, what it means is, there is recognized that your money, you have a right to some of it, which implies that God has a right to some of it. And consistently throughout the Bible, from start to finish, the number that is given as the starting place is 10% that you give back to God. That's what they call a tithe. Okay? I want you to understand me. This is not building to an offering that we're trying to take. And in fact, God doesn't want your lunch money. Okay? You say, what you do is you begin to look at your, your salary that you have been given, and you say, there is a part of this that from the very beginning God tells me belongs to Him. And I'm not supposed to touch this part because this is His. It's kind of like, you know, if you go to the bank, again, I get an extra $1,000 at Christmas, and I go to the bank because my wife tells me we need a china cabinet, which doesn't make any sense to me because, A, we got china that's ridiculously expensive, and we never use it, all right? And then, B, now i got to buy an $8,000 cabinet to put it in? Okay, so, but she's in charge, so I do what she says. And I take the $1,000 to the bank, and I'm like, all right, here, Mr. Bankman, here's your here's $1,000. And I do that several years, and I come back one day, and I'm like, hey, okay, I've been saving up. I'm ready to go buy my china cabinet. And the, the bank teller gets this kind of like scared look, and he goes back and he gets the manager, and they comes out looking all sheepish. He's like, we don't have your money. Like, Why not? Where's my money? You send some stocks? No, we actually spent it. We needed to upgrade some of our systems here at the bank. We had to redecorate, and my car needed some work done on it. And it's my wife's birthday, and we, we went out to eat a few times. And anyway, your money's gone. At that point, you just get furious, right? And you call the police, and you take that man to jail. But the, and the man says, but no, I spent it on good stuff. We really did need the money. And you're like, you may have needed it, but it wasn't yours. When we don't give to God the tithe, at the very beginning, you just say, I'm treading on what is God's. God is my witness, not about an offering. This is about you, because some of you are wildly disobedient in this area. You've got other parts of your Christian life in line, but this one you are just flagrantly disobedient on. The second word we use is priority. That's Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Your first fruits. When you give God first priority, that means when it first comes out, not when you see what's left over at the end, what that shows is that ultimately you trust God to provide the rest of your needs. One of the best ways I've ever heard described this, a guy named David Jeremiah, who's a pastor out in California. A couple comes to him in the church and says, Pastor, we'd love to tithe. We know that God wants us to do that, but we just can't afford it. There's just no way. And David Jeremiah says, okay, I understand. Why don't you write a check for what the tithe would be? Give it to me. I'll put it in an envelope and put it in my desk drawer. At the end of the month, if you are short money and you can't pay your bills, you come back to me. I will give you back the check, and that will be the end of it. And the couple said, well... Okay, and David Jeremiah said, so you would trust me enough to do that? And they said, yeah, you're our pastor. And he looked at him and he said, shame on you, because you trust your pastor more than you trust God. Priority means God takes care of your needs, and that's the way that you demonstrate that. The third word we use is progressive. And we all what that acknowledges is that as God, listen, increases your income, I would just suggest to you, it's not simply so you can keep God at a certain level 
and then do with the rest of it whatever you want, God increases your income because He increases your amount to give. I'm just going to say this. I'm not trying to be too bold. Just hear me. If you were making three times today what you made when you first got started and you're still given the same percentage, I think you're probably in sin. Because Veronica and I, my wife and I, we just made this idea that as God increases our salary every year, not only do we increase the amount we give, we increase the percentage. Because I'm like, God, my whole life is not about you fattening me up. My whole life is about you and your kingdom. And when you increase me, I want to give more to you. Because this is not about my kingdom, it's about yours, and I'm your follower, and you poured yourself out for me, and now I want to pour myself out for you. It's not about what do I have to give, it's what do I get to give. Here's the fourth word, the final word we use, and that is passionate. Follow this, listen. If 10% is what you ought to give, the New Testament totally explodes that. Because the New Testament says, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, remember the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And then the New Testament says, now respond to that. Respond to that. In other words, the New Testament tells us, think about it like this, Jesus did not save us by tithing his blood. He gave it all. And the New Testament says, now just respond. Two things are to guide us as followers of Jesus. One is I'm supposed to love others like Jesus loved me. And number two, I'm supposed to love them like I love myself. Which is pretty heavy, isn't it? You know, one of the things that Proverbs says, chapter 14, is he says, when you oppress a poor man, you insult your maker. But if you are generous to them, you honor him. Which means that somehow, watch, our love for God is connected to our love for somebody that is poor. One of the most disturbing scenes in the New Testament to me is Matthew 25, the judgment day. Jesus said there's going to be a lot of people standing at the throne who are going to say, hey, Jesus, we're ready to come into heaven. And Jesus is going to say, what are you talking about? I never knew who you were. And they're going to say, yeah, you did, man. We invited you into our heart at church, youth, you know, at youth camp, and we, um, we were in church, and we were an usher, and we did all the great things. He said, I never knew you. He's like, yeah, we, we did. We, we were totally down with the Jesus thing. He's like, no, I didn't because I actually came to your house one time, and I was poor, and I was naked, and I was hungry, and you turned me away. wouldn't even let me come in the house. How could you say you love me when I when you turn me away when I'm needy. And the people are going to look back at him and be like, Jesus, are you kidding me? You came to our house? Of course we would have let you in. The whole like halo thing and the, you know, the, the bright shiny robe, yes, we would have taken care of your needs, whatever you told us. He's like, actually, I just didn't come to you looking like this. I came in the form of a poor person. And what you did to them, you actually did to me. Because when you are not generous to the poor, what you're showing is that you have no concept of how I have loved you. And you don't love other people. And if you don't love me, you don't love others. How could you be a follower of Jesus? What? Watch. What you, there is no way that you can say that you love Jesus or love the poor if you are not radically generous with your money. What I fear, listen, is that some of us have tried to use Jesus as a fire escape from hell. And then we've tried to tip God off with whatever percentage we thought, the 10%. Here's your 10%. Now shut up and let me go on and enjoy my life when the trajectory of the life of a disciple of Jesus is to give more and more and more away. And the question is not, what do I have to give? The question is, what do I get to give? God, the more you let come through my hands, the more I get to turn back out. Last year, Veronica and I finished up a 
a, a ministry commitment we had made financially. You know, I'll be honest with you, I was so looking forward to that thing being done because there was all this money in our budget that was being tied up, and I was we learned to live. We were fine. And that thing came in, and I was like, hallelujah. I got all this stuff I want to do with this money. And I did it. And I had to repent, because I was realizing that I was trying to just tip God off. But I hadn't looked at my life. I still don't a lot of times. Because my life as a follower of Jesus is just loving other people the way I have been loved radical generosity. See, the fact that some of you just tip God off with your 10% and then the rest of you, the 90% is spent selfishly shows, watch, that you are religious but you're not a follower of Jesus. Followers of Jesus empty out their whole lives in sacrifice for others. I want you to enjoy your wealth. God gives it to you. He has blessed you with it. But I also want to show you that as you increase, not only should you be enjoying it, you should be radically giving it away. We got things through our church, obviously. We're trying to bless the community. We got missionaries overseas. We got poor people right in Raleigh, Durham. I know that's why God has blessed me so that I could bless others how He has blessed me. All right? I'll let you bow your head if you would. Every week in the series, I've given you a little prayer to do here at the end. Today, I want to do that one more time. If you just pray this back to Jesus in your own words. Jesus, thank you for the rich blessings that you have given to me. I acknowledge they come from you. Jesus, teach me how to be wise with my money. Jesus, I want today to start living out your purposes. Help me to give back to you as you have so richly given to me. If you've never received Christ, today you need to begin that relationship. The gospel is that Jesus is Lord and you must surrender to Him. The gospel is that Jesus has done in your place what you could not do for yourself by living the life that you should live and then dying to death and condemned to die so that if you would receive Him as Lord and Savior, He would save you. If you've never received Christ and you want to do that today, then you in your heart, these are not magic words, but if you say, Lord Jesus, I surrender and I receive, that is the gospel. Father, I pray for those who are just bringing their lives into alignment with your purposes. God, this is not a work of man. This is a work of your Spirit. And I pray that you might take these things and use this to radically reorient their lives into lives of grateful overflow back to you and lives of discipleship. For those who may have prayed with me to trust Christ and receive and begin to follow Him, God, help them to have the boldness to take the next steps, to let us know, to get baptized, and to become involved as your servant, as your follower. Finish what you started, we pray, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. We're going to spend the next few minutes ending where we began.